It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to CBOC.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at TurnBoot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at CBOC.com. Also on the panel today, we have Sarah Smith-Berry of Frigo Consulting. Sarah is a psychometrician, veteran advocate, consultant, and modern stoic. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach, and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy, and welcome, everybody. It's great to see uh, some new faces here in our weekly little get-together for IOs, HR, recruiters, and all of us, oh, I can't even speak today, all of us who are working in the helping people industry. I need somebody to help me right now. I need to Speech coach for the speech coach, uh, Jeremy. You've um, you've given us a really interesting topic today. Um, we're going to have a discussion about identifying and promoting leaders versus the versus the highly skilled. You're not saying that all leaders shouldn't be highly skilled, are you? Ah, the <laughs> no, absolutely not. The and this came about. We've talked about it in passing so many times. And when I think about this, I think about a lot of the things Linda Anna said. And I noticed as soon as I said we've talked about it in passing, she shook her head. So why not have an entire event on this? Because it is so important, because so many managers become, so many employees become micromanagers. There's a lot of, uh, a lot to get into. I want to give a bit of an update first. So there's a, there's a, quite a few of our IO Career Pathfinder members here. So just an update. We have, uh, uh, as you know, free. You know, you get some free courses. Tom, we have one. Tom's uh, five power tools of voice that's coming out by the end of the week. I have one uh, FBI and Psych Tips coming out for Influent that's coming out next week, and then we also have one um, on resume on resume building, and then one on on thin building. Those are going to be out with the next couple weeks, and we have the forum now. So feel free to go into the forum Pathfinder members and communicate there. It's really effective. We had one Pathfinder member who uh, early, early on in the week sent out a request. She was going to meet with her COO about some, uh, some DEI initiative. She wanted to get on the, the DEI board and she was asking for help. And within three days, she had a seven page step-by-step write-up. Uh, sent to her specifically for her. Uh, and th- those are the kinds of things that we're doing to, to help. Um, so some of our Pathfinder members are already getting, already have some volunteer opportunities to get some resume building skills, to get some more IO experience. So they're getting paired up and having discovery conversations with our IO experts now. Uh, so a lot of really cool things that are going on 
love the claps. Uh, and we've just got a, a stellar team. It's fun and it's going well. So welcome everyone. And Tom, did I say, yeah, I already talked about what we're going to be about today. I think I'm done. I think I'm done. <laughs> All right. No more time for Jeremy today. Uh, <laughs> well, um, you know, Lee, I see your smiling face there. So, so let me bring you in because, you know, you're, you're on the front lines in a lot of, in a lot of different ways. And, and do you see this a lot where somebody gets promoted and they might be highly skilled, but they're not a good leader. I mean, I, I'm thinking back to your time in the military, hoping that never happened, but maybe it did. Ooh. Um, well, you know, the old cliche that people get promoted to their highest level of incompetence. Um, you know, the thing is, for as far as the Navy goes, you know, within the promotion, a lot of times it really does have to do with your performance, not necessarily as a leader, but in your job. Because... Uh, for enlisted up through the, you know, through the more junior, it's just a test. You take a test, a written test. And, uh, and then once you get older, the, the, the stuff goes to a, a board where all they see is your, your record, you know, your evaluations and stuff. They don't speak to you. They don't, uh, they don't interview you. Um, and unfortunately, I have worked with and for a number of people who were very highly skilled but, you know, they couldn't lead themselves out of a small room. And, and uh, you know, it is unfortunate. And this goes right back to some of our previous things about leading up and, uh, and stuff. I mean, it is. I'd like to say it's not common, but it, it, unfortunately it is. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's more prevalent than, than we think. And Jeremy, I think you've really hit on something. Uh, Linda, and I'd love to bring you in here with your experience in HR because, you know, not only you know, have you actually seen this <laughs> disaster in the making, and on the other hand, you know, if I was one of those highly skilled people and I wanted that promotion and didn't get it, you might find me in your office going, why didn't I'm highly skilled? Why didn't I get that promotion? Yeah, I think that there's, um, there's an education that needs to take place or an awareness that needs to take place right now in organizations, and I, I don't think they've actually even really thought about this process where not everybody wants to lead people, right? They want advancement, but they aren't even aware that they don't want to lead people, you know, and, and I've said this before, one of the things I would ask people initially is, do you want to um, lead people or do you want to lead projects? Because the skill set is very, very different. The problem is, most organizations don't have two career ladders. It's if you want to advance, you need to manage people. And so I think that there's something called, you know, a management or a leadership matrix that exists where you can advance and manage projects. And then there's also a leader who is leading the people. So you have, in essence, people have two people that they report to, but for different things. And the when they're working on projects, those the people they report to can change. But then there's one person who's responsible for their career success, who's responsible for their performance standards and, and performance reviews and those kinds of things. The value to that is that 
there is a little bit of a check and balance there when you've got toxic leaders or people who are not skilled at, at what they're doing. And so there's a little bit more of a 360 kind of perspective. It's not a panacea, but it's, um, it's a little more helpful than what they've got now. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. And, you know, I, I actually love that concept of having two people that I need to report to one who, who really is focused on my success. I think that's a great idea. And I, I, you know, as we're working through this new paradigm of what is work actually going to look like? Um, I think thinking about things like that are like, let's all write that down. And maybe this is a direction we need to go. Um, Leah, want to, Sarah, I'm going to come to you after Lee. Lee, we're going to come to you first. Uh, but Sarah, <laughs> just so you're thinking about this, um, your psychometric voodoo. <laughs> um, there's got to be a test. There's got to be a test for this. Um, so think about that as we go to Lee. Lee, you're up. Yeah, you know, the, the organization that I work for right now, uh, we actually have something similar to that. Uh, I essentially have two bosses. I have a career manager who is my actual boss, the person who, you know, they're responsible for my, my evaluations and my goals and approving, you know, my hours and all that kind of stuff. But we also have the, the person who manages the actual contract. Uh, now, they could be the same person, and I, I, that has happened in the past, but right now that is not. And so I have the one person who was responsible for my career and whatnot, and then the other who is responsible for the job that I, I have to do in relation to the contract. Uh, and, and he has overall, like all of us, kind of have our task from him, while each of us don't necessarily report to the same career manager. So it is kind of that, uh, and sometimes that can be a little a little frustrating because they don't necessarily agree sometimes. But uh, in general, though, that's just like what Lindan said, you know, you have one person leading the people and one person saying this is what needs to be done to get the job done. Um, so I can see some some validity for that. Yeah, you know, I never considered what happens if those two people don't get along. Um, <laughs> um, Linda, and we'll come back to you in a second. Uh, but Sarah, is there some some testing or analytics that we can used to try and spot these these leaders and eliminate those people who may be highly skilled but don't have great leadership. Absolutely. So here's one thing I will always say. Um, I don't always start with assessments. <gasps> Shock, horror. Um, I don't always start with assessments. I actually start with conversation first. Um, so usually if you ask someone, do you want to lead people, they'll give you an honest reply um, as long as you're letting them know that it's not tied to their livelihood. Okay. So if you had the option, to uh, only be a project manager and direct processes and procedures and delivery of outcome, would you prefer that versus also managing your team's career development? Um, that's a very blunt, straightforward answer. And if you have that information, you don't have to take an assessment, okay? Because an assessment only lets you know someone's capability or preference within an area. It does not give you the crystal ball of whether or not someone can or cannot do something. So I like to say everyone can do everything. It's just how draining is it for you? So anyone can be a people leader, but for how long can they do a good job at it? That's what matters at the end of the day. It's I want the person that can actually 
go the distance leading people and not get frustrated, not, um, you know, become overwhelmed with, you know, dealing with drama or conflict management or whatever, because there are people who are very empathetic and natural um, negotiators and, and people leaders. And I think that that's their wheelhouse, right? They, they should be afforded the ability to do that. Now, I want to respond to Lee because I've worked with a number of organizations that use a model very similar to the one that he uses. And I frequently hear this back from the employees that they don't really like it because their two people don't communicate. Um, And so the person who's in charge of their career development may not even understand their role enough to be able to provide the type of advice needed to get them to advance. But they also don't understand what types of current deliverables and objectives they're up against. So if those two people are not communicating with one another, then guess what? The career development becomes overgeneralized. So you get a workforce of completely generalist, you know, standardized workforce, fine, Um, which is great in situations where you need a lot of the same type of individual, but not so great when you're looking at highly skilled professionals, SMEs, that sort of thing. Um, I really like a mentorship program much better. Um, I like it when you have a subject matter expert who has a number of people that fall underneath them. The other thing I would say is organizations will sometimes deploy um, systems kind of like what Lee was describing without giving these leaders the proper training on career development. So they will give this task to say a technical project lead And they'll say, you're not managing the people on your team's career development, but you're going to manage the career development of this person over here on this other team. Okay. And they think that they're eliminating bias that way, which they partially are, but they're still not equipping the leader with the knowledge and skills needed to develop that person's career. So do I think there's shortcuts being taken? Absolutely. Do I think that there are still improvements that can be made? Always. Yeah. Okay, but but let me ask you something that you said very early on. You're not suggesting we give employees choice, are you? I mean, that could be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I would like to think of it as not so much individual choice because then we'll never make a decision and we'll never move forward, right? But I think voice would be the um, better word to use there. Um, and that way we're making sure to get the feedback of the majority, um, as well as, you know, not always leaving out the minority voice, because we do need to make sure that we're paying attention to everything, um, because that can alert us to really potentially red flags and stuff like that. But I think voice would be a much better description of what you're looking for. Anytime you can add the word voice. I like that. Um, we're going to go to Linda and then Brittany. And if you'd like to join the conversation, uh, please put your hand up and we'll come to you. Linda Ann. So I, I understand that there's a, the, the gap in process for communications, but communication is an issue wherever you're going, whether you have this system or not, right? So fixing that is, is one way to address it because it's something that's being addressed now because of remote or and all kinds of things. So it doesn't really matter what your system is. If you don't have communication, it's not going to work. Um, but what doing this dual track does is it helps you to identify people who are interested in leading people, right? And if someone doesn't want that responsibility, the likelihood they're going to do a good job at it decreases significantly. 
And then it really helps the people who are um, technicians who want to be technicians have a way to advance and not putting them in, you know, the square peg in a round hole. So I think that there's ways to really fix it. If the company, it's always about whether or not the organization wants to make it work. The other thing too is there's a difference. I always said that if I'm going to have a choice between hiring a a person who has a skill set versus technical ability, I'm going to pick the person with the skill set because it takes a longer time to develop that. And for leaders, um, at least in my opinion, um, and you can uh, learn information, you know, or the technical pieces of things, you know, more quickly than you can develop the patterns for skills like managing people. So, um, but again, you know, across the board, our companies are deficient in the management training for anything. Yeah, it, it's really, um, <laughs> it, it maybe the pandemic has pulled the sheets off a really ugly secret that leadership in general has, in many cases, just been toxic in some environments. And even in the good places, there's always room for improvement. Uh, Brittany, let's go to you. This conversation is newer than a lot of other conversations that we tend to talk about. So I find that there can be such light bulb moments, especially when you're working with like a smaller organization where maybe they don't have the depth in their HR or like fresh HR eyes in their HR team that know this stuff that, hey, we don't have to go the normal way. But I have found that if I can just kick off the conversation that sometimes managers will get so excited that they start exploring the options on their own and they can build something better with me rather than me just having to prescribe and hand them something. Um, And yeah, I think a big part of that is, is pay to talking about that. And before like releasing a manager with their bright idea on their staff saying, okay, so person X, you tried to put him in leadership, super not working, super painful for everyone. Okay. You want to keep him in the technical route then and use his expertise there, maybe teaching others as well. Uh, You better be paying him for that. It should not, he should not get docked pay because he's not going in leadership. And I think the next struggle then is, um, even when they do get the concept, is that we just don't have systems built. It's so not normalized for people to stay in technical leadership. And so what I see is that people who want to stay in technical leadership, they're the ones that have even more of a need to make other revenues of income and use their knowledge of technology in ways outside of their nine to five job uh, to teach others and to keep growing deeper in that. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. (laughs) How do you teach leadership? You know, I mean, and we all have skills and think and training that we do for leadership, but you know, it's a little bit like asking, um, you know, how do you sing a song? You know, some people can just naturally do it. Other people need a lot of training. Um, but Jeremy, let me come back to you because, you know, when you pose the question, we've had this, this you know, the discussions to this point has kind of gone in a few di- different directions. So uh, did you want to kind of bring us back or I'm really sort of interested in posing this question and reflecting on it now, did, did this go the direction you thought it was, or is this becoming a much you know bigger area for discussion? 
this is going in an incredible direction, much bigger dip viewpoint, stuff I've certainly never thought of. And uh, I'm just sitting really here in amazement notes. Like I really, I mean, this is, this is such, such great thing. Some of the thoughts that have been sparked by what, what everyone is saying, usually I'll call by name and tie in, but everyone's been tying in ideas so well. Succession planning, um, you know, when you talk about an organization, succession planning is really what people, from my experience, is what people think for the higher ups, right? For the execs. There's no real succession planning track. And so many organizations, I see it all the time, where, um, you know, a, a senior leader in whatever, finance or HR leaves, and then the company is, is trying to do the thing where they fit a round peg into a square hole. Well, this person might be good for a job. What if we try to hire someone? This person is is strong, but they lack the skills. This person has the skills, but so then they're trying to work with. Instead, and I love these ideas and these you know kind of these parallel tracks, especially like like Lee was mentioning. Why not have you know? There's um, so much to say on this. It makes sense to start having these conversations early on. What type of work and what type of um, work environment suits you best? Do you, do you feel like you want to be in a leadership position eventually? And then having those conversations, what are the leadership skills needed for this type of leadership role in this industry with these particular, you know, you, you understand who the, the team is, what are the particular, so you can start to get an idea if someone's going to be on this, how bad they want it. Um, and, and when you have those conversations, look a little bit for emotion, like the, uh, like Brittany was mentioned, people get excited, look for excitement. Emotion tells us what people want and how bad people want it. So you'll be able to see if someone wants a leadership position because of a title, prestige and pay increase, maybe consider that that's probably not the best person. There's all other kinds of things. There's so many assessments that can be done more on the professional development area. There's some set uh, assessments that are great that'll hold up in court. There's some for this that are uh, less great is a really scientific term, right? Less great and can still be used for professional development. The uh, the leadership practices inventory. If anyone's read um, the leadership challenge by Kuzis and Posner, who have now put 50 years of research, have millions and millions and millions of response for their data. They created something that's called the leadership practices inventory that gauge someone's skill level on the five practices that have been seen worldwide to be what people want in their leaders. And these, these are things like um, encouraging people to take risks, celebrating small wins, enabling others, and a couple others. There's also something, um, the, the Hogan, they have a, uh, it's called the Leadership Potential Report. Um, and also you want to look at business acumen as well. And that's really important. Business reasoning, you know, the Hogan has, it's called the HBR, it's a business, uh, business reasoning inventory, because you want to look at somebody's skills. That's all until that, that tells you how do they make the decisions? Are they more expedient? Um, are they more, um, are, you know, are they more grounded? But then look at how they're going to deal with the team. Succession, I like, the, I love this idea of a parallel track and having the you know, mentor in the workplace is fantastic, but have periodically, you know, you're not going to make commitments. Well, you're on a leadership track all the time, but start to massage that. Start to bring them in on a couple of things. Start to coach. Coaching is super important. And we've learned from, we talked about these studies, you, Sarah, and I, uh, yesterday, we, we, are do, we were doing our trio podcast recording um, that is especially with the new workforce that's coming in, uh, don't yell at them, coach them, right? So <laughs> same with, with all of us. We want to be coached. Back to you, Tom. You mean the trilogy? 
Um, <laughs> yes. And I'm not editing that out either. I love it. <laughs> Sarah, let's go to you. Yeah. I, I just wanted to say something really quickly about, um, you know, what Brittany was saying about um, highly technical individuals and, and not working within a nine to five environment. I think we're seeing that mindset shift, right? Because organizations are dropping the ball. They're not leveraging these people internally the way that they should. Fine. They have them co conspire on developing a training, but that training is dished out by other people, not SMEs. So I do think that the point that Brittany brought up was actually a very poignant one in that once you've reached a certain level within your career and you've hit that SME status, I do think working outside of an organization is the best option. Um, I think normalizing that and making that um, kind of the gig workforce, I guess, is what they they were calling it for a little while, um, a little bit more um, attractive to organizations in that they can bring on individuals that are highly specialized to mentor for given time periods would be really effective. And then your due band or dual band of having a career manager and a a technical or project manager would be sufficient at that level then, right? Because you're covering knowledge, skills, and ability as well as the leadership track, which is important. One thing I talk about with the veteran leadership that I coach quite a bit is I do assessments on all of them. And so I say, okay, I don't start with assessments, but I do when it comes to veterans. And there's a reason why. Um, veterans are very specific in that they have a lot of conditioning that has happened to them over the years. Okay. And whether they want to admit it or not, a lot of their behaviors are affected by that conditioning. So it's really important when we're talking about leadership, especially because many of them are coming out of the service with 20 plus years that I work with. Right. And they're expecting to walk into a CEO position or a CFO position, right, right from the jump. And when I have to break the news to them that that's probably not going to be the case, that's a conversation that can get kind of heated, right? Because, oh, well, why wouldn't it be the case? I've done this, 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 and this. And I'm like, that's amazing. Fantastic. I believe you have the skills and ability to be able to lead, but that doesn't mean you're going to hit that level or that role. So what does it look like for them when they go to provide career development? That's very interesting. So Jeremy had asked originally, and I believe you did, Tom, is there something that we can look for when we're trying to determine whether or not someone would make a good people leader? And the answer is yes. You want someone with a lower level of uh, drive in their behaviors, meaning someone who operates at a more steady pace rather than a super fast pace. And you want someone with a moderate level of formality. And you need someone who is more collaborative than they are independent, meaning they need less ownership over the projects they work on. Those three things will allow you to identify the person that is the best choice for a people leader. Again, you want to make sure that you're having conversations with each person as well, because our experience equally shapes our choices when it comes to the workplace. So I hope that's helpful. Oh, yeah, it certainly is. And, you know, you made me reflect on you know, I can't, I, I can't count the number of times that I've worked with a company or an organization and have had that thought of, you know, if they just used me to the best of my abilities, <laughs> they would have discovered something really great. You're listening to Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turnboot. The name is not elegant. 
Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Um, Linda Ann, we're going to go to you next, and then Rebecca, we're off to you. Oh, you just uncovered a pet peeve of mine. You know, people, <laughs> companies go through these the gyrations and standing on their head to find the right person. And then they've got all these people who are really good at what they do, but they won't listen to them. It makes me not happy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that's not what I, I wanted to bring up. I, I wanted to follow up on a little bit of what Jeremy was saying, because the uh, he talked about um, the succession planning. And I think that that's a concept that a lot of companies, especially smaller companies, aren't really that conscious of. They kind of do it maybe a little bit in case if they're afraid somebody's going to leave or whatever, but it's not a conscious effort. And I think that needs to be also a point of education. And then how to develop or groom people in that process, right? And so one of the things that I, and one of the things that I really emphasize to people is that when you're bringing someone along and, you, and you're always looking for those opportunities, can they go to this meeting with you and be a fly on the wall so they, their head starts to think in a different way or whatever that is, but to give them those opportunities to take a new risk, but have minimal consequence. Because if they take that risk in a management environment or, or whatever that is, and they go down in flames, the likelihood they're going to do that again or want to do that again is, is compromised. And so, you know, one of the things, and this is just an example of of one thing that happened um, a while back, I had a, a group of people, we used to do a lot of proposals and I had very, very clear process and standards so that we hit all the marks and we got it out on time. And my team said, well, we want to do it without you. We want the opportunity to to prove to you that we can do it on our own. So I said, okay. And there was a way I had of evaluating the request for proposal. And I said, okay, here, do this one. Now, one of the things that happened was they missed their deadline, right? Because if you turn it in 30 seconds late, it, so what, right? But what I had given them was when they came back and they told me, I'm like, no worries. I knew we wouldn't get that anyway. So there wasn't, I didn't give them this thing that there was a huge precipice for them to jump off on. So it's when you're grooming them, they have to have the opportunity to fail, but not have it be, you know, a crisis. Yeah, I totally agree. Um. (laughs) Wait, really quick in the military, we call that failing forward. Okay. So that's what we call it. We call it failing forward. And that is actually something that is built into our culture. Um, so it's pretty cool, but I, 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 sorry, I I interrupted. So I'm sorry, everyone, but I know we've got hands raised. I just want to say something though, that 
the more creative the industry is, the better they tend to be at this sort of thing. Right. So I noticed that like retail does really well, the more customer obsessed they are. Amazon, they do a great job. Now they haven't had such great press lately, but they're dealing with a lot of stuff with shipping and supply chains and all of that right now too. But I want to say like the more creative, the more customer obsessed, um, things like the food industry, the arts, like, because the experience is tied to the product, right? So they're already thinking about experience for the customer. So it's only natural for them to think about the experience of the employee. But when you're talking about industries that are not customer obsessed, they're regulation obsessed, finance, government, oil and gas, I can keep going. It's not as natural, right? So it's almost like you have to have, as Linda Ann called it, an educational point there of, hey, guess what? It's not natural for this to the experience to be taken into account. However, here's some case studies of how well it's doing in these industries that are experience obsessed because it's directly tied to their product outcome. Guess what? Your employees are directly tied to your product outcome. So it's not necessarily a direct relationship, but in a way it is, right? Because if your employees are not having a great experience, your customer is not, whether that be the government or whomever. So I just, I'm sorry, questions now. Okay. (laughs) That's okay. And you know, you're exactly right because, you know, training creators for a number of years, the first thing we teach them is the importance of failure. It is the best teacher that you can have. Uh, Rebecca, let's go to you. And then Ariana, we're coming over to you. Thank you. Um, So um, going back to uh, Sarah's point earlier about, you know, just starting off with, you know, just like asking people straight up, like, hey, like, are you actually interested in leading people um, or do you want to just lead projects, you know, and decoupling that from um, their livelihood? And then, um, and then, you know, uh, Jer- Jeremy's point about how, like, it's not wise to um, promote people to, to leadership uh, positions, you know, based on their desire for, like, a title and prestige. And, um, you know, something I'm thinking about is that um, I think something that, like, organizations and society, like, has to do is, um, you know, kind of, like, decouple like people's identities you know from like work and what we do because I think part of it is because like especially in America like we place such um like so much importance and identity like on what we do and our job title and I think that's a big motivator you know for why um people want to aspire to to leadership positions um you know so I think like if we um, had more like work-life balance in organizations and kind of like normalized, you know, like um, having like, like, you know, like what your, your job title is not your identity, but you know, it's what you do. You know, I think that that will help more people realize, oh, hey, like I actually don't want to be a leader, you know, because I'm really good in my lane as a technical expert. I like that and I don't need the prestige in order to, you know, have um, get that validation for myself. You know, it's interesting. And and Jeremy and Sarah, it reminds me of our conversation yesterday of just be nice. <laughs> if we were nice to each other, 
business actually might work a little bit better. Uh, Ariana, let's go to you. I'm going to quickly jump on that and then say what I was going to say is I do agree. Um, I think that sometimes we don't value as much employees on the bottom level. And I've definitely seen that in a recent example with an ethical culture assessment that we did with a manufacturing company. And the employees on the bottom level were thought by the top leadership really as numbers. They weren't given proper size uniforms. And these people were like incredible welders. Like they had all these great technical skills that contribute to our society and create the things that we pick up at Home Depot and all of those things. And yet there's this sometimes perception that the CEO should be paid 10 times more than the people on the bottom. So it's about aligning those reward systems. And I think it's natural that people want to become leaders when they see that is the only direction. And I don't know that there always are other pathways. You're an incredible welder. You're just an incredible welder. You're not like, there aren't like, maybe we just need to value that even more. Um, The other thing I was going to say about this conversation is I think a lot of times when we as IOs, we think about ideal state and Fortune 500 companies. And I don't know, my experience is that companies are a lot more at the foundational level across the board than we even think. And sometimes getting started in any of this and creating a pipeline and considering success in management is the first step, whether or not they're highly skilled or have leadership potential. A few of the construction companies I worked with, they had no pipeline. Like when you got to the next level, so sometimes, yes, it's aging interests. I think it's also like Linda Ann has said, providing opportunities for shadowing, getting involved. What does this work look like? And then I think we need to remember that there are different leadership competencies at each stage of the organizational leadership ladder. So the competencies needed to be a first um, level people manager to the technical experts is a lot different than a middle manager, which is different than a senior manager. So For me, I think this ties back to the importance of continuing to invest in and provide leadership training to even individual contributors to begin to get the organization ready at different stages for that leadership and begin to even just start asking these questions. If this person left, who would we have to replace them? Have we done any shadowing? Do they have any of the skills? Things like that to just see a little bit more as a fluid process of developing different skills that can serve you throughout your leadership journey. Yeah, when you're looking for that next leader, they may already be working for you. You might not have to look outside the organization. Uh, Emily, thank you very much for raising your hand and joining us here on the stage. You want to unmute your mic and share your voice with us? Yeah, thanks, everyone. So I actually wanted to go back and revisit um, something that Sarah said in the chat earlier, and I had a question about it. So I work for a consulting firm, and because our consultants are working on different teams with different people constantly, just based on the different engagements they have. We have their mentor as somebody that is in the same type of practice as them, but may not be working closely with them. And the expectation that we've set is that these mentors are supposed to develop their mentees and coach them in reaching their career goals. And Sarah mentioned that her husband is actually a career development lead and that she would actually choose him as a technical mentor instead. So I'm kind of wondering how we can differentiate between mentorship and leadership, and do mentors need leadership skills, and should we be choosing leaders or technical experts for that mentorship position? Good question. The question is, what is your outcome that you're trying to get from the mentorship? Right. So if your outcome is better people leadership, 
then of course they are going to need all of that leadership experience and all of that dealing with people. But if the outcome you're looking for is better technical proficiency, then I can say my husband's the guy to go to. He's the <laughs> king of spreadsheets. Um, and you know, it's, I hate to say it like that, but the, the man is, he's a genius, right? When it comes to technical project and program management for very high level programs, we're going on a $4 billion program right now. So he's brilliant, but he is not the most empathetic individual I've ever met in my life. Okay. And I can say that I'm his spouse. Okay. <laughs> I love him to death. I'm allowed to tell the truth. Okay. Um, I wouldn't choose him for that. And you know what? I don't think he'd choose him for that either. I, I, I know he wouldn't in fact, um, because he's come to me with frustration of this person is asking me to develop them and their career. And he's like, and I keep wanting to send them to you, mm-hmm. you know? So it's not uncommon for leaders at that level to feel like they have to um, have all the answers. And so usually what I tell them is, do you have someone on your team that might have the ability to develop them in the way that maybe you can't? And just by saying, what resources do you have at your disposal? Not necessarily a document or access or a program or whatever. What about people? You should know the members on your team well enough to say, you know what? And if you're a good leader, you're able to say, I may not be the most empathetic one on the team, but guess what? So-and-so is. Mm-hmm. And I bet if I ask them to help me with this, they jump at it. So a leader in my mind is someone who leverages resources very well, not someone who's perfect at everything. And I think we should probably spend a little bit more time articulating that and the uh, value of being transparent and honest about what our skills actually are within leadership and not make it look like we're incapable if we're passing it on to someone else. That doesn't mean you're incapable. It just means you know someone who can do a better job at that. So that's what I would say to that. Um, you know, I not and we I think we overvalue empathy. Oh, shock horror, right? <laughs> Okay. It's, it's because we're in a shift, right? We're in, we're in a shift right now where culturally we, we need more empathetic individuals and leaders. We need that right now. And so there is a high value placed on empathy and less on technical proficiency, but guess what? During the industrial revolution, the opposite was true. So I think we need to understand that all of us bring different things to the table and that each one of those things is valuable and that there isn't a hierarchy to those things. So I hope that's helpful. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Uh, do you have a follow-up? Or did Sarah answer all of your questions? No, I think that was great. Um, <laughs> just we need to, at our organization, do a better job of outlining what the end goal is for leaders and for our mentors and maybe establish a different type of program in terms of who is your mentor and where do you go when you need those resources in terms of good leader. So that was great. Good. Uh, Lee, let's go to you. Oh, man. Um, you know, I can tie both what, what Sarah and, and Ariana, as they were going through, I was thinking of both there, that uh, we absolutely have to, to focus on the bottom rungs, because if you don't have a strong foundation, I mean, you know, <clears throat> the building doesn't stand. I mean, it is what it is. And, <clears throat> you know, to Sarah's point, as far as, you know, the good leader needs to recognize the tools that they have you know, the, and, and 
And mentors and leaders aren't necessarily the same person. And uh, one thing that I've noticed a, a lot, I mean, I've, I've always been in, a, in an environment where we encourage getting mentors and they could be they could be junior, they could be senior, they could be in some other industry altogether. <clears throat> it's just a matter of that you have someone who can help you with whatever it is. And as a leader, um, you have to recognize that somebody may need something that you can't provide. And I have many times with somebody I was coaching said, hey, look, you know, I can't help you with that, but I know somebody who can, or I know someone who knows someone who can, whatever the case may be. And then let's, let's find you that resource to move out there. And I think one thing we, we've missed this in, in organizations is we don't always have the um, infrastructure, maybe, to provide that kind of, of service to our people. Because a lot, of, a lot of companies don't have a formal mentoring program and probably more, more don't than do. And, you know, so we need to encourage people to reach outside to get getting their, uh, you know, to get, the, to get new mentors and to encourage them to even look outside the organization because maybe there's something that they want to do in the future that we have nobody. And maybe it's something that we really truly need as an organization. So, um, it would be, if you don't mind me, leave me butting in, but sure. I, I agree with you hundred percent that we need organizations to start thinking along those lines, but boy, there's organizations out there who, when it comes to investing in their employees, they ain't interested. It's all about the bottom line and what gets sent to the shareholders every year. Do you think there's a way to reach those organizations or are they just going to sort of disappear? <laughs> Um, <clears throat> yes, <laughs> so, uh, some of them are just going to disappear. I mean, it, you know, if you don't adapt, you die. I mean, that's, you know, Darwinism of business, but the, uh, I, I think really what the, the key is, is, is the ROI. Can you show that, you know, what we're proposing is going to bring a return and there are plenty of people out there and I'm sure plenty of them on this, this call right now who have that expertise to be able to show that, hey, this program tends to increase productivity by X or reduces um, turnover by Y, you know, whatever that may be. And so if you can come on in there and you can say, hey, look, we, we have this for this investment, we can give you, you know, these things. Uh, I think one of the best things that a company could do would be to provide coaching and mentoring services for their employees, uh, either a contract for somebody who's not tied directly to HR necessarily, somebody whose who job is the, the person, not the, the overall HR mission. Because I think a lot of times when we have that, you know, there's ulterior stuff going on there and almost, almost kind of a, a counselor client kind of thing. I'm not going to tell anybody what you tell me unless you're going to hurt yourself or something uh, so that they can say, okay, what is it that you want to do? What can we help you with? What resources can we find for you? And, and I mean, that's where I want to work, man. I tell you, if we get people who, who provide for their people like that, that they're going places. That is going to be a successful organization. Yeah. I think employers underestimate that notion of, I really like my job. I really like being there. I really like going to work and what that can do for them. Linda Ann, let's go to you. 
I wanted to just follow up um, on some of what Sarah was saying to the extent that I think that when leaders realize that they don't know everything, and I think it's really a, a good situation when they don't know everything that is technically specific for the tasks and jobs that the people they are <clears throat> responsible for um, are doing because in that situation, they are more likely to really take advantage of the skill sets of the people that they're working with. They're looking at who can do something best. So I think that to not have someone in the leadership position who doesn't know everything about all the specifics of what's going on um, can be a real advantage because I really do think that they take um, their, they use their resources better and that makes creates more opportunity for the people that they're managing and, and it creates more opportunity for them to be lifted up. Um, I just wanted to respond to something in the, the, the chat box regarding mentorship programs. It depends on how your mentorship program is set up. I, I think that, and I've set up formal mentorship programs before and it costs the company nothing except some of my time. And because they're doing it after hours or in lunchtime or whatever. So it really depends on how it's set up and um, you know, have they clearly identified their purposes. And, and it was a very structured situation and there was education provided to the mentors and the mentees on how to utilize each other and things like that. But other than that, there was no real cost to the programs that I've, I've put in place. I, I think anytime mentors can get involved is great. Ariana, let's go to you. Yeah, Linda Ann, I know I responded in the chat and I think it's in part because I've seen so many organizations that don't have someone like us on their team or as a part of, they don't necessarily know where to start. I've seen a lot of organizations that don't have a professional development budget. Like it's just, there are a number of organizations where they have to reinvent this or start from something or bring in consultants. And I think it goes back to the conversation we're having around ROI, around inclusion and development. I think we understand that you can have a minimal budget and take it very far and that it's worth the investment of developing people's skills and leadership abilities or whatever the objective of the mentoring program is. I think um, we're just going to have to, I think we're moving there. I think we see it. We see more and more literature. I think that what I want to say is just like, there are a lot of organizations in the very starting point that don't even have the resources to be resourced in this area. Uh, you, you bring something to my mind. I, I, think, I think the industry needs a marketing program. I think we need to change attitudes sometimes. Uh, Rebecca, let's go to you. Thank you. Yeah. So um, in terms of um, mentorship programs and um like, you know, cost versus having no cost, like um, time, like, yeah, like, I think that is a cost. And I think if men, if like these mentorship programs are important enough um, for organizations, you know, and, um, and, you know, in terms of like people's um, leadership development, or even just like development within their role, you know, then they are worth organizations, you know, allotting time within employees' schedules, you know, to devote to these um, mentorship programs, because, you know, there's just no way that they can effectively work, you know, with um, in a 10 minute break here, an hour lunch there. And, you know, like, 
after hours, um, after the work day, you know, in between, you know, like getting dinner and, you know, like getting kids fed and ready for, for the next day. And, you know, I think it's really important for organizations to invest time because, you know, this is also kind of like the conversation that's going on around um, a lot of these, like um, the unpaid, like time labor that goes on in employee resource groups that a lot of employees saying, you know, like resource groups, like ones for women or like ones for people of color, employees are saying, this is important to us, but disproportionately it's unpaid labor that's you know, falling on marginalized people. And so I really think it's important that these mentorships are not another form of unpaid labor. Just just free labor. Ariana, let's go to you. Yeah, I just wanted to add on that because I thought it was such a good point. And I've seen that actually in practice where this actually was a Fortune 500 company and we did an assessment with a sub organization. You know how that's like a whole company within the company. And they saw this coming up, like they actually scored pretty well across the board on their culture, but people really were itching for more professional development and they felt like they were getting stagnant, didn't have anywhere to go. And we brought this to the leadership team that was, in all truth, kind of an older generation, worked their way up through the corporate ladder. And they were so resistant to giving employees time during their workday to professional development. Like I heard comments like, you know, we didn't do it that way. You know, we wanted to get ahead. We had to stay up until midnight, burn the midnight oil, you know, like if they really wanted it and like trying to communicate work-life balance, the, the many demands that we as humans have as adults trying to juggle jobs and other things and trying to get them to embed this time into the day. We, I mean, sometimes as an external consultant, there's only so much you can do, but it was a bit of a disappointing scenario. I often talk to people my age because it's my generation <laughs> and, and, you know, well, they didn't, they don't do, you know, when we were their age, it, you know, it wasn't done that way. And then I remind them, yeah, you remember how much we hated it? <laughs> this is actually a better way to do things. Uh, Sarah, we're going to go to you quickly. And then Jeremy, I'm going to come back to you for some thoughts and a wrap up. Really Sarah. quickly. I just wanted to, to chime in on just a little bit of that. So because you suffered, others must as well. Um, I think that is the worst thing that you could possibly do as a leader. Now, um, I'm not against challenging your employees. I am not against um, giving them difficult tasks to force growth. Okay. Um, I do believe that there are tasks that you can use to build chops. All right. In certain industries, I do think that's necessary, but when it comes to your time, workplace and work life balance, this is a lie that we have been sold. There is no such thing as work life balance. There is such a thing as being paid appropriately for the amount of time you work. And there is something, you know, called being aware of the fact that women and minorities deal with a lot more unpaid work than everybody else. So as soon as that conversation is heard and actual policies and procedures are in place to address those things, now we can start talking about mentorship programs. Now we can start talking about making sure that everything is dress right dress because no, we're not following the old paradigms anymore. Uh, workplace revolution. That's the new hashtag because this is what it is. The, the people are demanding a change and guess what? For the first time in a long time, they are the ones with the deciding factor and companies that become employee obsessed are going to be the ones that survive this. 
I, I know that we're going to be looking back five or 10 years from now and going, you remember that company? Yeah, they're not around anymore. Uh, Jeremy, is this the way you thought the conversation was going to go today? No, no, not at all. And it's fantastic. Isn't it? <laughs> absolutely love it. Um, this this is going when we had a, our other one about uh, consistent communication in the workplace where it just blew up into such a good direction. Um, I'll note for anyone listening to the podcast right now, you can be a part of our future events. Just go to cbock.com slash events and uh, just, you know, get your, the, you know, Sarah's been talking about um, you know, so we're talking about workforce revolution. We're talking about, there's no, you know, Sarah mentioned there's no such thing as work-life balance. And then she gave um, some, some great support for that. I'll, I'll, I'll challenge that. Like, so what do we replace it with? I think we re- start to replace it with um, what gives employees a sense of fulfillment at the end of the day. That's a question that should be asked each day. And I'll ask this, how many of you here and how many of you listening and how many people that you know at the end of each day have a sense of, I think the numbers would be pretty staggeringly low. And we think about the difference between uh, fulfillment and happiness and joy. Happiness is our response to something that happens to us, right? Fulfillment and joy are things that we can create for ourselves. And when we look at what actually gives us a sense of fulfillment, we're naturally going to, I think, start to weave in work and life. And that's where we get this kind of work-life balance thing. And I think we talk about mentorship programs and we talk about this and I, you know, one of our biggest fears is that people listen to, to, to these things that we're saying and they may leave and think, oh, that was fantastic. Loved it. I'm going to get lunch. And then they forget about it or they think, oh my gosh, this is so important. I'm going to put this on my list. And then it sits on a back burner. So, you know, what's something you can start with something you can start with, but you know, you might not have enough for a formal, uh, an absolute formal, uh, program, simply just start asking the right questions. You know, ask your, here, here's mentorship. for you. What would give you a sense of fulfillment at the end of today? Ask your employees that, and then listen, and then work towards that. I mean, people will be surprised. I've given many examples over time about how, how even how the most mundane jobs, like factory work, like welding, um, like blowing leaves off of uh, the sand pits in a golf course, the most mundane types of work, repetitive, punching holes and stuff in factories with I did when I was, when I was young, which got me into where I'm at now, there's got a better way, but you can, you can tie that into what someone's passions are and what their you know personal identity is and have that increase their productivity at work. So just ask the, ask the question, what would give you a, give you a sense of fulfillment at the end of today? Now you've started to become a big, a good leader. And if you're talking to someone in the beginning of today, we talked about um, how do you start to identify? So we talk about succession planning for people who aren't necessarily in executives and suite, et cetera. If you find someone and you're having that conversation about, hey, uh, do you want to be a leader? If you ask the question, what would it take? What would make a good leader on this team? If you, what does a good leader do? If you get someone that says they seek to give each employee a sense of fulfillment at the each, that's someone you want to keep your eye on, snag that person, glue them to the wall. And then go from there because you, we're looking at productivity and all these things that can help with passion. And that's going to, that'll spark. Just take that question. What gives you a sense of fulfillment at the end of each and then just change it a little bit and then start asking more of those particular questions. I think it's important um, to have, to have that. And, and uh, <laughs> let's end it there. Cause I want to ask you a little bit about CBOC and um, the membership is growing. Uh, the wait list is coming down, but uh, if there are people who are interested in joining the organization, time to sign up is good. 
Yeah, for the I, yeah, we have that IO Career Pathfinder program. If you go on cbock.com and click on IO Start here, we're really starting to, uh, I'll say, I'll say breeze through the, the waitlist and get get people where they need to be. Um, lots of things happening there. We recently sent out a pretty interesting IO and HR mind map that helps explain the difference and kind of the combined functions where you have IO and HR in the workplace, industrial organizational psychology and, and HR in the workplace. And it's, it's about a, what, a hundred, you know, different points of it. So we're doing all these different things. In addition to what I mentioned previously on, I know you're going to ask me what our next week topic is. So I'm going to beat you to it. Our next <laughs> week topic is should companies outsource their talent assessment processes? So that will be our conversation. Yeah. And I knew it. I knew it. I knew Sarah was going to love it. That's why I did, that. I did that pause right before I said talent assessment process, just so I could see the reaction. I know Sarah loves that kind of Good use of the pause. Yeah. You taught me, Tom. And, and congratulations, because I believe Work Cookie is the number one industry podcast right now. Yeah, for IO Psychology, we are, it's going really well and, and, and we're happy with the feedback that we get. And thanks to everyone here who contributes because uh, we couldn't do it without you. We've got some star players everywhere. Hey, it's it's the people on this you know, podcast and the, the excellence that they bring that just adds to the conversation every single time. Uh, and with that, that's probably a good place for us to wrap it up, Jeremy. Uh, it's been a great experience once again. Thank you very much, Jeremy and Linda Ann and Sarah and Rebecca and Lee uh, and Ariana and everybody who joined us here, either on stage as a listener. Uh, please, you know, come and listen. We hope you're enjoying this. If you're listening to the podcast, try and make it up to one of our live events and join us on stage. We'd love to hear your voice up here as well. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. I think I will throw you back, back to you for the count out. Well said. See you next time, everyone. Closing in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.